One day, your true crime obsession drives you to start writing letters to serial killers. Over the span of 20 years, you and your husband will end up writing 30,000 letters to some of the most notorious American killers with the highest body count. With time, you realize the best way to get them to write back is to seduce them. The question is, will they take the bait and reveal something unknown to the public? Underpoop sweat is a serious problem. It keeps affecting millions of people each year. Maya is the name. People that have gone too far is the game, is the pattern of this month. If you come for my podcast days, because I started podcast technically before this channel, or if I manage to convert you the other way around, you will know that my podcast is themed. You, you will know by now that I quite thrive on structure in life, on this channel. In general, it's a headache up here every freaking week. Don't even let me spare a moment about it, because it will be a hot minute. So, on the podcast, each month I cover three cases fitting a particular theme. Last month it was political crimes. I've covered everything from crimes involving royalty to fetishes to different BDSM crimes. Sometimes it is heavily sexual. Sometimes it is just more serious and depressed but all in an attempt to, like, deduce the motives and the psychology behind somebody committing a crime. Now, sometimes I structure the minisodes on my podcast as well, like I'm gonna be doing this month. So, you're getting a pre-release, you know? You're getting a sneak peek, well, technically like a full on just early release, Maya. That is what it's called. And the pattern is people that have gone too far. So, two of the minisodes are going to be about the ordinary people that have gone too far in their attempt to communicate to serial killers. And then two of those will be the other way around. So sometimes like law enforcement members turn to crime because they have gone too far for very different reasons. That being said, we are first going to be talking about Barbara and Richie. Dick Stein or Dick Steen. I'm just going to be calling them Barbara and Richie because I don't want to butcher somebody's last name. Let's go. Barbara and Richie started writing to serial killers all the way back in 1992. And the idea was initially Barbara's. So, she started writing to Son of Sam, David Berkowitz. And she started writing to him because she was a friend with a person that narrowly escaped being shot by him. And at the time, Richie was the corrections officer. So, he worked within the prison system and was also really interested into the minds of the killers. So, all the way up until 2005, when they stopped writing to these killers, they would just, like, sort of start communicating, write the initial letter, see if they get a response and where it leads. And usually they would start, you know, seducing these killers, and their response would lead further in that direction. So, let's start with John Wayne Gacy and their communication with him. John Wayne Gacy, who was dubbed the killer clown, was living in Chicago when he murdered 33 boys and young men during the 1970s, and then famously hid their bodies in his crawl space. 
our letter writer, Richie, will manage to convince John Wayne Gacy that he was homosexual himself. Gacy would write, So fill me in on those hot fantasy and what you're expecting of me. Hey, I aim to please and teach you as much as I know if you're a good student. And it's clear from this letter that they have chatted about all of these different things on the phone, because John kind of ends this letter about his definition of what he perceives as indecent. Basically, John Wayne Gacy's backstory is that his dad was insanely homophobic. And he kind of, well, both the mom and the dad kind of figured out that Gacy might be homosexual from his early age, and and literally everything that Gacy did as a child, he also had some health issue, he was born with some, so he would be sick constantly and his dad would just berate him for constantly being, well, a pussy or like whatever they would call it at the time. So for being whiny, for being weak. And because of this, because of this psychology, John would never admit to being homosexual, even when he was arrested, even when he was on the death row. At best, he would say he was bi, because he got married in order to cover the fact that he was actually gay himself. So here, he ends this letter saying, definition of indecent, when it's long enough, hard enough, and in far enough, then it's indecent. Haha, I hope you have strong neck muscles to take it down your throat. Just easing. Always your buddy, John. Gacy wasn't the only person that Richie managed to convince that he was homosexual. Jeffrey Dahmer, who I covered both here on this channel for Last Meals and on the podcast, also was pretty convinced. Honestly, I don't think that it mattered whether or not they thought that all of the men writing to them were gay or not. They just wanted their dirty pictures and they just wanted somebody to write to them in this way so that they can get off in prison. Dahmer sometimes dubbed the Milwaukee cannibal, murdered and dismembered 17 men and boys between the years of 1978 and 1991. His murders went so much beyond just being murders. He would engage in rape. He would also dismember the bodies after, sometimes engage in necrophilia, in cannibalism, and also keeping the trophies. He would keep a barrel full of acid where he would be storing victims' bodies and would also store the skulls in the fridge. And he also famously, once the skin would be off um, human bodies, bodies would sometimes like even keep their skeletons. That story is truly the stuff of nightmares. But famously, Jeffrey's ideal victim would still be alive, but docile and not able to complain or technically to move, and most importantly, not able to leave him. He had insane attachment issues. Like, they were victims that would sometimes stay the night, and then obviously the next day they would be like, okay, cool, I'm gonna leave now, move on with my life. And that would be when Jeffrey would strike. So just a bit of a background story, because just the psychology behind wanting to get in touch with these serial killers in the first place is already beyond me especially if you know everything that they have done. So, Richie gets in touch. And, of course, Jeffrey, another famous thing about him is, obviously, he liked 
fit men, underage, so that's problematic in itself, somehow the least problematic thing out of everything he had done, but also really fit. Like, he was a torso lover, and not in, like, a normal way, like, he was a bit obsessed with, like, muscular bodies. So, of course, when Domer writes back to Richie, those are the type of pictures that he wants. He asked Richie to send through photos with every unclothed muscular inch of him. I just received your letter this afternoon and thought that I'd write back. It's always nice to get mail from someone new. I'd like to get to know you better, but with all the mail that I get, it's difficult to know who I should respond to. So in your next letter, would you please send me some really good photos to help make your letter stand out in the crowd? You said you're a bodybuilder. That's good. I'd like to see every unclothed muscular inch of you. I'm allowed to keep any type of photo except Polaroids, so don't take the pictures with a Polaroid camera, okay? What strikes me in every single one of those letters is how they just end it super formally. Like, well, Richard, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, Jeff. And you're like... You're a serial killer that just asked a guy for, like, pervy pictures. Richie and Barbara, actually mostly Richie when it comes to the guys, also wrote to the cult leader Charles Manson. And here I have the least amount of information. Like, none of it is, like, substantial. They have never written a book or anything like that. But here we have the least of a gist, like, we also have just one letter back, and it kind of seemed to me that both of them didn't really want to continue communicating with Manson. Because even from jail, Manson was one of the most manipulative people ever. Manson was behind a cult that he dubbed the family that went onto a murderous two-day rampage in Los Angeles. They were constantly high on drugs, and he would manipulate the people that didn't have anywhere else to go. So he was their only resort, and then would have them basically completely brainwashed and just high all the time until he actually convinced three of his followers, Susan Atkins, Patricia Cranwinkel, and Leslie von Houten, to kill seven people on his behalf. This is some of his letter. I've been a few years working out of the hole, again. Oh well. When the others tell on me and make up stories they want to believe because it adds to their job importance. P.S. If I got out, could you give me a job? I get to go over the same old, same old, so we can turn the circle in the chains of command. Send your number and I'll call you. I know you've been used by some people who call me brother, and one day maybe it will catch up. You and I are still solid as far as I'm concerned. I did ask a good friend to help me, and I explained. We'll be in contact. Easy, Charles Manson. So I don't know if it's just easy. I guess it's good that they are in the good books, because one serial killer that I would have never written to, even if I had all the chances in the world, would be Charles Manson. You have no idea what kind of connections he has out in the world. And he is in prison in the first place because he managed to manipulate people to kill on his behalf. So this is not the person that you want to write to. But that is the only letter that we have for Charles Manson. And now, the one that started all of this off, David Berkowitz, or the son of Sam. 
David Berkowitz was a 24-year-old mailman once he quit his job and started stalking his victims with a 44 caliber handgun, killing six of them once they were isolated in their cars and wounding seven others during his rampage that is famously known as the Summer of Sam. Here I want you to pay attention to certain things, because just like with the letters from Gacy, I mean so many of them, like if this story reveals one thing, it is just what things they find morally wrong and try to showcase it as like their agenda once they're in jail on the death row. So these are the bits and pieces from David Berkowitz's letter to Richie. I have been praying for you, and I believe that this year will have some nice things in store for you. My heart goes out to you, Richie, at your loss, but I have asked the Lord to show you mercy and to comfort your heart. I don't think you really understand what I go through and the pain and grief I have in my heart over the past. And even 25 years later, the media still chases me around. I'm ashamed of the past and I want to move on. I have a fear that some people write to me for other motives. It's a sick world out there, and recently someone even printed a bunch of fabrications about me in a magazine. This has been such a difficult thing to deal with. If it were not for God's grace, I wouldn't make it. In the rest of the letter, there's so many details about, like, the weather that he's experiencing right now, the fact that it's December, him wishing all the best to Barbara as well, them bonding over football and the fact that Berkowitz watched the Giants match from prison and they have lost. And also from this response, I gather that Richie asked him to draw himself, so to like draw up a sketch of his own face. Whether it was testing, like to see if he will do it, or he was actually interested in how Son of Sam looks in prison now, and obviously it's not like you can ask them to smuggle a camera in and take a picture of that. Well, Berkowitz's response was that he is not going to do it. The motivations being that somebody else in the prison pretended to have a sketch that was drawn by him, by Berkowitz, and they were planning to sell it, because, of course, they have to make money somehow, and serial killer memorabilia or anything by them, whether it is a signature or a drawing, will probably get them some substantial amount of cash because, unfortunately, people are sick. And he said, no, if you even hear that somebody got a drawing of mine, just know that that's not me behind it. And then he just cuts off at that point and says, like, oh, I hope Barbara is well as well. And you kind of start thinking, like... Why did he mention it? Is it truly just to fit the rest of the vibe of this letter? Where it's like, oh, I'm a changed man, I'm ashamed of everything I have done in the past. Or is it rather that he didn't want anybody else to be profiting out of something that he might or might not have done? I don't know if you're familiar with the Son of Sam law, but it was introduced because of him. Because it was heavily speculated that he is going to sell his autobiography to somebody to publish it and gain money out of that. And that is when this law was established for something like this not to be able to happen. So I'm just thinking that it's more that, that he is quite salty about not being able to profit out of his own crimes, rather than the fact that he is suddenly a completely changed person. 
Now Barbara enters the room and she starts writing to Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. And she's pretending to work as a local stripper, so she does send him some pictures as well. Ramirez was the serial rapist and the serial killer that terrorized LA between 84 and 85. He killed more than a dozen people and his victims ranged between the ages of 6 to the age of 82. So Barbara invented a story that she knew Richie because he was a bouncer at the strip club where she worked, and he then wrote back to that in December 1996 to wish her Merry Christmas, but also because he saw the opportunity to get some nude pictures. They continued the correspondence, so she sent him the Valentine's card, and he responded thanking her for it. You're very beautiful and have a great body. I watch the nanny sometimes. I like Fran. Did you know she was raped twice? Well, in 85, I was arrested for this and that. It's all in the past and doesn't matter. In fact, the less you know about me, the better it is, I think. Then he also asked for sexy pictures of her barefoot. But the kicker. I don't know where he got this questionnaire. Did they send it to him or did he find it in prison from like all of these other prisoners that were corresponding with people? But basically he fills out this questionnaire. Now tell me that this doesn't read like a seven-year-old boy trying to act all tough filled it in. Childhood heroes, Jack the Ripper and Frankenstein. Favorite meals, none here. Why you wrote me? Because you're cool. Every January 1st, I resolve to be more of an asshole than I already am. Nobody knows I am more deprived than they think that I am. My biggest regret, not being rich while free. What I don't like about people, a lot of things. My biggest fear, none. Superstitions, a lot. Friends like me because who needs friends? Personal goals in life, none. Favorite number? Come on, it's, it's very obvious. 666. Thoughts on crime? Very. Thoughts on sex? Great if I could get any. Religious thinking? Evil? Question mark. What are you thinking now? Evil thoughts in evil doorways. He is truly the lamest of the lame with the smelliest breath of all the serial killers. It is so fucking tragic. What a waste of sperm. So during his exchange with Richie, though, Ramirez spoke of his fetish with women's feet and also that he used to take pictures of women's dresses as they walked down streets of LA. Also, in 1994, Ramirez said that there is something about Hillary Clinton that he digs. Her calves and ankles are definitely healthy. I think you'd agree. So, those are all of the excerpts of the letters that we have, but sometimes, obviously, because they did write to these serial killers for over 20 years, both Barbara and Richie formed kind of emotional ties with them. Barbara, in particular, formed some sort of relationship with the other person that I covered on this channel, Carla Faye Tucker. Carla Faye Tucker, another Scorpio, and another super manipulative human being who, like, killed one person when she was, like, high on drugs. Well, 
actually somebody else was in the middle of the murder and she kind of helped them out so she didn't even have to do it technically. But since then, when she was put on the death row, she found her religion again and she was a newborn Christian and again tried to manipulate people from the death row to seek her as such and God doesn't want her to die and all of that bullshit. And, well, a lot of people did buy into that. Barbara sort of somewhat did as well. And obviously, Carla Faye Tucker, I covered her last meals. There's a reason why she was there, because she's dead now. So after she died, Barbara kind of was saddened by that fact. Barbara said that she cried when Carla Faye Tucker, who killed two people with a pickaxe during a burglary in Texas, was executed in 98. She started crying and Richie asked her, why are you crying? And she said that she felt the same way about her as he did about Berkowitz. We just clicked. We both loved cats and gardening. And as mentioned there, David Berkowitz formed a really strong bond with Richie. I think it was because of the New York connection. The fact that they were both at certain points living in Westchester County, New York, David Berkowitz, I don't think he was born there, but I think he moved there and sort of committed his crimes in that area and was very much familiar with the football and the whole New York scene. So I think that's why they bonded. And it was even said that Berkowitz cried when Richie died in 2018. But what's interesting is that it also worked the other way around. Sometimes they would get these killers to be obsessed with them. So, when interviewed by the New York Post, Barbara said that Richie convinced the South Carolina mother, Susan Smith, the one that drowned two of her sons in 94, that he was in love with her. And she said that on her side, Robert John Bardot, who was convicted in 1991 of stalking and killing the actress Rebecca Schaefer, was the one that was obsessed with her. That case is also super interesting. I covered Catcher in the Rye, Inspired Crimes, I think that's what it's called, also on this channel and on the podcast in, like, the earlier days. So expect, like, shittier sound. But also, I just find that whole concept fascinating how obsessed John Bardot was with the catcher in the rye and the whole murder of Rebecca Schaefer that was inspired by that. So, on that note, let's speak about the motivations that they might have had to write to these serial killers. Because another thing that I find fascinating is that Richie would aim for those with a high body count. But then when Barbara would write to people like Carla Faye Tucker that killed two, or the angel of death, Richard Angelo, that killed eight, Richie would ask her, why do you waste your time writing to nobodies? And Barbara would say, well, I do like some of the nobodies. So for that New York Post interview, they would both said that they were motivated by what happens in the minds of these killers. And they said if you look at the lives of most of these serial killers and their childhoods in particular, they never had any love. So they thought with us, Here's somebody willing to show them love, so they will try with them. And maybe reveal something without even knowing that they have revealed it, just because of their psychology. And because somebody, for the first time, is showing them love now that they're in jail. 
some of the 30,000 letters will now be included as part of the podcast Killer's World that is going to compile them, as well as other people's letters to serial killers. Only the trailer for the podcast is out now, so there isn't like one full episode yet, but I think it's coming soon. I'll post it on the screen when it should be coming out. But the producer of the podcast, Rob Sia, who is also a former NYPD detective, said that he was shocked by the amount of content and the amount of detail in these letters that they have managed to get because of building rapport with these guys. He said these killers lie to everyone. They lie to psychologists, reporters, their own lawyers. So it's extraordinary to see how they let their guard down in these letters. Some of them told about crimes they'd never admitted before. So that's really all of the information that I have on Barbara and Richie. Obviously, this podcast will include more letters... The information right now on the internet is really scarce. I'm talking like a few articles quite literally repeating the same information, like literal copy-paste. It is just that interview that they have had for the New York Post, and then the rest is just tabloids copying that. So the information doesn't go beyond the first page on Google, and also not all of these letters are there. And not all of them are in the format that I thought they would be in. A lot of them are typed up, and I'm starting to think why. Which is also why I decided to cover this, to get your opinions on it. So as you will have seen during this video, I will put how these letters looked like on the screen. So I'm not sure if they were typed, they looked typewritten, as if they were done on, like, one of these guys, like, one of these typewriters. It could be just the typewriter font on a computer, if they can use a computer on a death row. Or, again, it could be that somebody else transcribed it so that it looks nicer, because there is one letter that is in actual handwriting, and you can't read the shit. So, it could be that they just had insanely bad handwriting. That is one reason why I find this story not to be the most credible one, I guess. I guess the other reasons are why only publish this now through a podcast. Maybe, like, why not write a book? Like, if we are thinking about maybe monetizing something like this, you know, why has it not been done once they stopped writing to them in 2005, when Richie was still alive himself? I could never find the reasons for it, so the motivations, again, could be that they are not monetizing on this, that they have had genuine reasons to do this themselves, and that now, you know, they're just sharing a bit of that with the world through these articles and then through the podcast. But I guess one other reason why I'm questioning this is the actual motivation behind writing all of these letters to the killers. In two weeks' time, you're gonna have another episode of a guy that actually wrote a book. He, again, like Barbara and Richie here, wrote to some of the most notorious serial killers and then compiled it into a book. But without spoiling it, you can really see the psychological effects and the toll that it has taken on the guy. And I'm just thinking here, if you are writing to serial killers for 20-plus years you must feel some of that all, because they're still the same manipulators from prison trying to get what they want. 
And also the motivation of that other guy I will be covering just seemed to be stronger. So it could be that Barbara and Richie just haven't been given the recognition, the enough time for an interview, because quite literally all of the quotes that I could find I have included in here, all of the letters that I could find I have included bits and pieces of in this one. So I hope more comes out of this story, if it is really true. But only if that information is relevant, if it provides us with something we might not have known, whether it is with their MO, whether it is about their victims, or whether it is about the actual psychology of them. Because as this producer actually said, they would have their guard down when they would write to just random people. And obviously they didn't think that these random people are one day going to expose their letters. So what can we find out from those? But that is everything I have for you today. I will probably be listening to this podcast to see if there is something more to develop on when it comes to this story. And next week, I'm bringing you a person that worked in the police force that, you know, turned bad, that kind of like, ooh, swerved, like, turned criminal after years of just being like a good, solid FBI agent. Yeah, Maya, let's spoil it all. No, just let's tell the story like right now. Like, why wait for the next week? Actually, because I have to research it, but yeah. So, uh, I don't have it ready like that. So, I will be seeing you guys next week. Let me know down in the comments. What do you think about this story? Do you buy this story? Do you believe it? What do you think about these letters? And also, if you like this kind of content, don't forget to like and subscribe. I always forget to say this. This is why. This is why I'm not, like, huge on this platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally not because your editing is complete shite. Okay. So, you see, if I get to monetization, you get better editing. What is not clear? Why does it always sound like a threat? Okay. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-